0: this episode was previously recorded for the everything money podcast due to the nature of the content we are re-releasing this episode for listeners of her divorce source with leah jones has divorce become a reality and you are asking yourself now what if you have questions about your new life you're in the right place her divorce source with leah jones is the go-to podcast for women before during and after a divorce Join me, Leah Jones, a certified divorce financial analyst at Hightower Bethesda, as I help you envision and create a new life that's full of possibilities, empowerment, and freedom. I'll tackle your concerns about lifestyle and money, giving you practical guidance you can use right away. Now let's get started. Today I am here with Meg McKinney, and the topic that we are going to discuss is financial literacy and transparency in marriage and divorce. Little background on Meg. She is the former founding partner of Delaney McKinney and recently founded McKinney Fijini in May of this year. She has over 27 years of experience practicing family law. She is a sought after for her negotiation and uh, trial skills, and she has made integrity and reliability central facets of her legal practice. And most importantly, she is empathetic and promotes fairness in working with clients. And I know that's something I've always appreciated uh, in working with her. So let's start from the beginning and take a look at financial literacy. It's a topic that's very near and dear to my heart, but specifically as it relates to divorce is critical. So Meg, can you talk to me about your initial conversation with clients regarding this topic?
1: Yes. So whenever a new client comes to see me, um, one of the first things we're going to do is get an understanding of their financial situation. So I'll talk to them about their income, their spouse's income, their expenses, their assets and liabilities. And some people come knowing absolutely nothing about any of it. Some people are the ones who control it in their household, and so they know everything about it, and then some people are in the middle, and so we see a whole range, and I always say to people, there's no, you know, there's no shame in any of it. People make all sorts of um, decisions in their marriage for all sorts of good and sometimes bad reasons, but I always say to people, you are where you are, and if you don't have transparency, one of the the things you're going to get in the divorce process is transparency, so we're going to help clients figure out what their financial situation is, assess their financial situation, and then figure out what's possible and, and what's going to work and, and what the future looks like, because that's a big component of what we have to figure out when someone's getting divorced. So we one of the first things we'll do is figure out what they know now and then what they need to know for the future and how it all kind of works together.
0: Okay. So talk me through, if someone comes to you and it's pretty apparent that maybe they don't have a lot of literacy, what would be, I don't know, let's call it homework, what would be <laughs> some homework that would you would give to this person um, per your initial conversation with them and finding out that they don't have much uh, literacy?
1: So the first thing we're going to do is ask them to go get us a tax return or two or three, or depending on how complicated the situation is, we might start with five years of tax return. But the tax return is going to tell us all sorts of things about their financial situation. It's sort of like a, a treasure trove of information. So it'll tell us you know, whether they own a house, whether they have investments, whether they have um, self-employment income, or if their spouse is a W-2 employee. Um, how many sources of income there are for the family, what their deductions are like. That'll tell us, you know, do they own a house? Do they own more than one house? Do they have any rental properties? All of that is going to be on the tax return. And then the next step is typically um, what accounts are there. So a tax return will tell us if there are any interest-bearing accounts or dividend-generating accounts. That'll tell us where those accounts are. And if they're jointly titled, then the client can go and get copies of statements if we can't work with the other side. Typically, we work on it with the other side to exchange whatever information we need. And then once we understand what the situation is, we'll start talking about what their goals are, both personally and financially. We'll talk about whether they have a will, right? Um, A lot of people don't have wills. And when they're married, it's not as important that they have a will if everything's titled jointly, but they're going to be looking toward not being married anymore. And so they need to start thinking about wills and trusts and things like that to kind of put their financial house in order. So we start talking about that from the very beginning.
0: Right. And the tax return can kind of be your one-stop shop, if you will, for at least initial identification of what's going on. And in particular, if somebody themselves doesn't really know, so yes. maybe that gives people a little bit of comfort if they're thinking to themselves, "Well, I have no idea, and you know, where mm-hmm. do I even start?" Well, tax return is a good, you know, place to start. So once you've worked through kind of that uh, literacy, I think another really important facet, and this is what you always talk about, is uh, transparency. So how do you begin to to understand the financial transparency that exists between a couple?
1: Well, the first is through interviewing them. I usually ask people in the initial meeting, how do you and your spouse handle your money, Like, right? Do you have joint accounts? Do you have individual accounts? Do you pool your money? Who pays the bills? If it's just one person, or do you both pay the bills? I'll ask them if they have a budget. And we start working on those sorts of things to figure out how they, how they ran the household. And there are people who know absolutely none of it. And that's okay, because we know how to help them figure it out. And, and eas- another easy thing that we'll ask them to do in the very beginning is to get their own credit report. You can't pull your spouse's credit report. <laughs> right. that's, that's a no-no, but you can certainly pull your own. And a lot of times it'll show whatever is tied to your spouse. So that's also another good piece of information.
0: Got it. And I guess another thing with transparency is just, Do they even know how to check the statements, right? Like, do they have an Mm -hmm. app and they go online to the bank or they don't, they have no usernames and passwords set up or they don't regularly check any of those things. That would probably indicate they have essentially no transparency whatsoever. Yes.
1: Yes, for sure. Mm -hmm. Right.
0: What are some, as as it kind of relates to this, what are some red flags in regards to transparency that you've seen with clients?
1: So some of the things that sort of set off alarm bells when we're looking at people's finances are um, large or frequent cash withdrawals, multiple purchases of gift cards or cash at the grocery store. Like if you look at people's spending over a period of time, most people fall into habits on spending. So if all of a sudden I see a jump in how much someone is spending at the grocery store, that tells me, oh, maybe they're taking out cash. Maybe they're buying gift cards as a way to funnel money somewhere else. If large, if cash withdrawals happen multiple times a week, or they start getting larger, that's also a red flag. Um, the credit card bills, if those change, you know, markedly, those have a lot of information as well. Um, and if those change, that I would consider that a red flag. Wire, you can look at them and see wire transfers. Is the wire transfer going to an account we don't recognize? Of course, all this assumes people have access to all that. And if they don't, then it's something we'll have to do later. But we will generally have that ability to look at those kinds of documents. We also will frequently try to get access to our client's phone records. And usually one person maintains the account for the whole family. And if you have access to the phone records, you can see patterns of calls. And sometimes that will lead us to information as well.
0: Yeah, I think the other thing that is becoming more common is the use of kind of these alternative payment sites. So um, PayPal, Venmo, Zelle, um, to a certain extent, I'm sure if people can stash cryptocurrency. There's all kinds <laughs> of <laughs> uh, yes. innovative things and technology only kind of assists uh, with some of these. So I'm sure you've seen yes. that as well.
1: Yes, and and more and more common is getting people's records for those types of accounts. And you can can print out a history or download a history and find out where money has been going. But that is, yeah, if you see transfers, multiple transfers and unusual transfers to any of those types of services, that's obviously another red flag. Red
0: flag, okay. Now, what have you found? I mean, you've been doing this for a really long time, almost 30 years. And so, I know when we were talking about doing this, you said this is, you know, by far one of the most important components um, of, you know, going through a divorce. So, what have you found regarding, you know, kind of finances and transparency and literacy as it relates uh, to divorce?
1: Well, it's particularly important for people if if someone was in a marriage where they didn't have financial literacy and they didn't have financial transparency. It becomes even more important to educate them and help them learn, um, you know, what they need to do, what they can expect, how to think about it. Because going forward, they're, you know, they're going to have to manage it on their own. And so helping them, you know, understand how to build a budget, how to think about um, working with an accountant how to think about financial planning, all of that is really an important part of the divorce process for people who haven't had transparency um, or, you know, access. Maybe they had transparency, but they didn't have access, right? You can have someone who walks you through the finances once a month, a spouse who does that and, but they don't, but you don't really have any control over the account. So part of it is really a big educational component Part of it is making sure we have a full understanding of the universe of marital assets. And I always say to people that these days it's very hard to hide money because it's, you know, every money, every transaction leaves a footprint, a financial footprint um, or a digital footprint, right? You can't transfer money to the Caymans without it leaving a footprint. So unless someone is in a cash business or they take out lots and lots of money, you know, if someone takes out a thousand bucks a week in cash, Theoretically they could stockpile a fair amount of cash and fly that to the Cayman Islands. But unless if you're not seeing that happen and they're paid by a paycheck by someone, right. it's pretty hard to hide money these days.
0: Right. So I guess that's a silver lining for some yes. people and for other maybe <laughs> <Yes>. not. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what would you say when it when it kind of comes to finances? And maybe this is a hard question to answer, but um, You know, what is what what tends to be people's biggest kind of hang up when it comes to this topic?
1: Well, with finances and divorce, most of the time, the biggest struggle is that you're taking income that used to support one house and whatever that income is, whether it's one person's income or two people's income, and you're having to stretch it now to cover two houses. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: that can be very difficult. And so what ends up happening is everybody has to tighten their belt. Everybody has to change their expectations. You really have to look at, you know, where are you going to live? has to be driven um, largely by what can you afford. And maybe someone is going back to work and so they have those stressors, but those tend to be the biggest, like, okay, how are we going to stretch our income across two households now? So you say just
0: probably having a realistic expectation of what that financial picture looks like post-divorce, and it might not be, you know, the same as it was.
1: Yeah, previously. it's almost in almost all cases, it's not going to be the same, right? Um, because you can't. Most people live kind of at their income, um, mm-hmm. so whatever yep. they've been doing. going to have to cut that in order to now layer in a whole new household and you don't have the same efficiencies that you do when you combine your households right you have Mm -hmm. two different phone plans two different insurance plans two different utility sets you know it just it costs more when you're trying to support two households
0: exactly okay yeah I've seen that as well uh, in working with <laughs> some clients that are going through divorces, just kind of having that understanding of of what the new budget looks like and what the new lifestyle looks like, what the new home looks like, all that good stuff. So mm-hmm. um, I know, I know one thing you do a lot of is you work with clients to design prenups. And so from my perspective, I feel like there's still kind of this negative connotation with even asking your fiance to consider one uh, you know you don't want it to be taken offensively or you don't want it to seem like it's a sign that you think the marriage isn't going to work so it's just not something that couples newly couples I would say are as open to doing if it's second marriages I feel like it's probably more accepted almost standard right like we're going to talk about this but with especially with first time Uh, couples, it just tends to be kind of still a taboo topic. Um, And from having these conversations, I just almost feel like it should be a mandatory conversation that potential spouses, future spouses go through. So can you talk a little about what you've seen in working with people to design prenups?
1: Mm -hmm. So absolutely, um, everyone should at least have the conversations that would enable you to figure out what your prenup would say before you get married. (laughs) Because what I find many times when people are getting divorced is that they came to the marriage with completely different expectations about finances. And their their financial expectations are sort of like two ships passing in the night. And if (laughs) you don't know that, if you don't know that going in, then you've got this little problem brewing. And, you know, this it's sort of like a cancer growing in your marriage. And so you have to talk that stuff out in advance and you have to understand the other person's expectations, their financial goals. You know, most of the time in marriages, what we find is one person's more of a spender than the other. And so you have to have common understandings about how you're going to manage all of that. And the prenup is the perfect way to figure that out. So. It, it, it basically enables you to define the terms of your financial partnership on the front end right most people don't understand that the law the law has defined terms of what your financial partnership is you're you're entering into a financial partnership governed by the law and and that law is going to apply whether you want it to or not unless you affirmatively change it by signing a prenup so I think you know, I think we do a bad job educating people about what the law is. I used to teach once a semester at um, a local high school, a, a course, to kids on what does the law say about what your obligations are when you get married or when you have a kid. And, but by and large, we don't teach people that. And so they come into a marriage, not realizing what their financial obligations are to their spouse. And it really is important to know it talk about it to have an understanding about it and to make sure you're on the same page or you know for a lot of people like you're just make sure you're reading the same book forget about the same page or you at least have the same book (laughs) (laughs)
0: right and you and you get to define the book not based on um, just kind of general guidelines that are out there I couldn't agree with you more I think that we have culturally an issue with education on financial literacy Mm -hmm. and just even starting at a young age. I mean, my son's going on four and he can tell you uh, if the stock markets are up or down and what that (laughs) means. And uh, (laughs) I'd have to say that that is uh, because of me. But, you know, it's something that I that I emphasize in my household. But I think schools and everything else should should be emphasizing it as like a basic course that every single person has to take like English and math. I totally agree with that. And I also think that it's easy because I just had this conversation with a client uh, who is recently engaged. It's kind of easy to say, well, uh, we don't really need a prenup. We're both going to work. Everything is fine. We, you know, we both work That's we both contribute. That's fine. And uh, you know, you just never know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Once you have kids, things change. You might make a decision, to change them or a decision might be made for you for a variety of reasons um, where things do change. And so when you're in a good place, it's one of the best times to define how you would think about that situation if it changed versus having it change uh, with the ships in the night that cross each other and, uh, you know, have no common direction. So I, I, I agree with you there. Now, let's talk a little bit about Maryland, because I know Maryland, each state, and that's why it's so critical uh, to work with someone that's an expert wherever uh, you're, you know, living. So, each state has these nuances, and Maryland is no exception to that, and there are some nuances as it relates to finances and division of property that I know I was surprised about and that do have real financial implications. So, can you talk a little bit about what those are?
1: Sure. So, the The most um, unusual piece of Maryland law is that um, in Maryland, the courts can't assign debt uh, unless it was debt used to acquire an asset. So the mortgage on your house goes with your house. The car loan on your car goes with your car. But your credit card debt, unless you can prove what it was generated for, like if you can prove that it bought a stereo system. Well, then you might be able to say, okay, whoever gets the stereo system has to take the associated debt. But most of the time, that's really impossible to do when you have someone, when you have people who have large credit card debt or even moderate credit card debt that has accumulated over a number of years and in part is, you know, interest and fees and all that kind of stuff. And what ends up happening is if it's in your name, you're stuck with that debt. If it's in joint names, and this is really... (laughs) like most of the time now credit cards aren't in joint names, not really one person's the holder and one person's an authorized user. So even though people think of them as joint, they're not really joint.
0: They're not. Yeah. This is exactly what I found to be very interesting because you don't even think about it. You have a credit card and then you say, Oh, you know, Costco, right? Oh, my Costco card. I want both of us to be able to shop at Costco with no problem. So, you know, add my husband to it. But ultimately since it's my account, and my husband is an authorized user. If he went and racked up $10,000 worth of debt, that would fall under my debt.
1: Yeah, and that's another reason we do typically have people get their credit reports pretty early in the process so we can see, because most of the time, people have been using their cards forever, and they have no idea whose name is it, right? Right. So if you pull their credit reports, you can tell whose name, what cards are in, and who's an authorized user, and... So you can really kind of figure that out because it could be important moving forward. Now, when I work with people, my rule with people is we're not just going to do what we can get by with under the law, we're going to do what's right with the universe. And so if there's credit card debt and it's only in one person's name, but it was used for the family, my rule, you know, all other things being equal, my rule is going to be we're going to treat it like a debt that needs to get paid out of assets or equally divided or however we're doing the financial settlement I'm not just going to be I'm not just going to take the position you know 90% of the time there's always an exception to every rule but most of the time I'm just going to I'm not going to say well that's too bad that's in your name there are certainly lawyers who do that no matter what but I think most people when you're when people are getting divorced most of the time they're going to have to like face each other for years because of their kids and so you want to have a settlement that at least it feels either fair to everybody or unfair to everybody, but it doesn't have one person <laughs> feeling like it was a fantastic deal and the other one walking away, feeling like it was really awful.
0: Right. I think that's a great way to think about it. I like that. Do what's right by the universe. We need more yeah. of
1: that. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. It's so important. So that is the biggest one, but then also, um, Maryland is limited in what assets the court can transfer title on. And sometimes that's good. And sometimes that's bad. Like I can always say to the business owner, don't worry. The court can't award your spouse shares of your business. But sometimes the bad news is the court can't award your spouse shares of the business, whatever the business is. If it's not jointly titled, it's going to get valued and put in that person's column. And if it has a high value and there aren't a lot of other assets, Sometimes we have cases where the only thing the person gets is their business, which they really just view as, you know, the way they generate income. So it's sort of a, well, congratulations, you get to keep working (laughs) (laughs) and your spouse gets all the assets. It's a pretty harsh result that can happen sometimes because of the way Maryland courts are kind of constrained in what they can do. You know, if houses aren't titled tenants by the entireties, then the courts can't really award it to one party or the other. So sometimes people buy a house before the marriage and they never retitle it, then it's not technically marital property and the court can't award it to one person or the other. It, and all that can happen is it gets sold. So retirement assets can be transferred other, you know, monetary assets like that. Uh, they have some more ability to transfer it, but um For the most part, if things are titled in one person's name, they go in that first column and then the court can order what we call a monetary award to compensate the spouse who doesn't have title to the asset.
0: And I know you have mentioned that even if they do that, then it's on the person that got the award to make sure that they actually get the compensation.
1: Yeah, they have to go collect the money. (laughs) (laughs) Because what what the court's going to do is enter a monetary award. They usually will reduce it to judgment, sometimes not right away, sometimes right away. But then you have to go collect it. So, you know, and people aren't really thinking about that when they're thinking about, oh, do I want to settle and take less money than I might get at trial? And I'll point out to them, well, yeah, you might get more, you might get a bigger award if you go to trial, but then you have to go collect it. Whereas if in this settlement, we can get you paid, and so sometimes people it's sort of a pure victory because you get a big award, but then you can't collect it
0: yeah and i've I've seen that in particular with quadros, which is um separation of retirement assets into the other person's name, the other spouse's name, and I mean those can just take way longer than anyone could possibly imagine even when there's all the best intentions behind the scenes to uh, get it done. So.
1: Yes. Yes. Now, theoretically with a quadro, you should ultimately be able to get the money.
0: (laughs) Right. Right. But it just might Um, take a lot longer. Don't count on it tomorrow.
1: Yes, for sure.
0: Okay. Well, in closing, I know you mentioned uh, there are two really good marriage books that you always recommend when someone reaches out to you you have had even mentioned that people have come back after they have read these and said, you know what, this really saved my marriage. And I think that speaks a lot to you as well, because you're also saying, Hey, sure. I want to help you if you're going down this path, but at the same time, if there's anything else you can do to save this or make this work or any other Avenue that you haven't tried here, you know, try it. (laughs) Which I think is great. So um, can you tell me what those two books are?
1: Yes. So the first one is called um, Seven Principles for Making Marriage Work. And it's by a man named John Gottman, G-O-T-T-M-A-N, Ph.D. And it's a fantastic book. Even my engineer husband read it and really enjoyed it and thought it was very useful. And then Marriageology, which is the word marriage hyphenology by a woman named Belinda Luscombe. That one I I love as a book on tape or a whatever ebook, whatever the Audible, because she's British and she has this fantastic accent. And sometimes it's just easier to absorb it by listening to it than reading, you know, yet another book. So those, but those are my two favorites of all the ones I've read over the years, which is sort of an occupational hazard. Um, And I find they have a lot of really good. They have a lot of great stuff for helping you with your marriage, but also for relating to your spouse. If you do end up getting divorced, it just has a lot of like relationship management information, which for most people, they're going to go on and have to interact with their spouse because they're tied by kids. And so having those skills of how to relate to that person on a going forward basis um, is really important as well.
0: Yeah. And then I I think, relationship skills in general are always going to be important so even if it doesn't end up working out with your spouse maybe that'll be helpful in your next relationship.
1: Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes indeed. Yeah. All right.
0: Well, um for everyone listening out there, some really great tips and advice on financial transparency and literacy two very important topics, a little bit of specifics to Maryland that you want to keep an eye out for and just be aware of all these things. It never, never hurts to have this information and, uh, check out these books because it can only do, all it can do is help. And, uh, that's always a good thing. So thanks so much, Meg, for your time today. And, uh, we look forward to talking to you again sometime soon.